Welcome to Red and Yellow, the podcast about all things to do with refereeing at grassroots level, looking at the laws of football, speaking to guests and trying to help you become a better referee with Adam Humphreys and me, Ed Connell. Hello, it's Adam here and I just wanted to get in on this episode of Red or Yellow to say a couple of things. Firstly, please send us your questions. You can send them on Instagram, you can send them via email, any which way you want. All the links are in the show notes. And we absolutely love answering listener questions because that is what's going to help you become a better referee. And that is what this podcast is all about. Added to that, please hit subscribe and follow the podcast in your little podcast app. And that way, our meandering chats will magically appear on your phone whenever we have a new episode to release. And just one more thing, just a reminder that all views expressed in this podcast are indeed that of myself, Adam Humphreys, and not that of Football Queensland. And now the legal stuff's out of the way, let's crack on with the show. Hello, Edward. Good evening, Adam. How are you? Um, well, it's morning for me. The sun is coming up and it's getting in my eyes a little bit. But yeah, it's lovely. Um, I'm well, thank you. Yourself? Um, I'm good. Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, I'm, as always, when we record on a Friday night, a little bit um, tired. It's been a, another busy long week and it's, what's it? It's like coming up for nine o'clock in the UK. What time is it there? Coming up for 6am. Yeah, so I'm not sure who's got the the worst end of the uh, deal here. Me, I'm saying me. I woke up at half past four. I think I, I I can win that. At least you can drink wine. I can't. Was that was that to prep for the podcast? Always or... me. I always do my homework. It actually was. I mean, I didn't wake up at half four to prep for the for the. But I thought, hang on, I better give what we're going to visit in the news section a a watch. <laughs> Just to figure it out a little yes, bit. Yes, that's more. A, that's generally a good idea if you have some idea of what we're going to talk about <laughs> in the show. The listeners will be very pleased to hear that you're um, putting in the effort now. I feel like to I feel like we should twenty. I feel like we should apologise to um, to a few listeners. I've had a few people actually because I've been I've been going to training a little bit more in um, here in in Brisbane. Um, not that I can really run at the moment. My feet are still really bad, but. Um, yeah, and they're all asking me, when's the next episode coming out? When's the next episode coming out? I know, I and, feel um, very bad. Well, it's because you keep jet-setting. We... You've been on holiday again, <laughs> Edward. It wants to be about your 10th holiday this year. Do you know what? It's terrible. I I, I took my parents away, because my mum's not been very well. I took my parents away for a few days to sort of try and cheer them up. And uh, as soon as anything went on Instagram, I was then besieged with the usual messages, which is, do you ever work? Another holiday? Are you a tax exile? I mean, honestly, you are. You're I, definitely I, a tax exile. Aren't I've you? really not been away very much this year. This year's been quite a Ed, quiet year in terms I think, of travel. I mean, in fairness, like you know, you don't have children and stuff like that, dear. So, um, like your ability to go on holiday is probably slightly greater than the fair majority of the of the world. But um, mm-hmm. you've been on holiday more times this year than I have been in my entire adulthood. I, I don't actually believe that, but I'm, I'm a bit too tired to, to ask you. But, <laughs> I said that, um, I'm off to Fiji next week. So uh, Yeah, well, exactly, for your honeymoon, so that's yes, all right. That's absolutely. very nice. But no, I've had a few people over here. In fact, I got I got berated by one of our regulars who says that he used to listen to our podcast on his commute religiously, yeah. 
and um, he was, you know, rather upset that we hadn't been recording on a, on a sort of weekly basis because he said, uh, you know, that he looked forward to it. So I'm, we're sorry about that, but you know, it is difficult. We've got busy lives and we're in opposite sides of the world. It's not ideal, but uh, anyway, well, we are life. still going. We're here now. We, we are. are still going. It's yeah, awesome. over a year since we started. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're still here. And no plans to wrap this up anytime soon, especially since we haven't finished the bloody laws yet. So we'll keep, we'll keep going. <laughs> that being, we'll get through that there. being said, though, that's a good opportunity, I think, to, um, and I know, like, obviously, when we start recording and uploading more often, we get more interaction. That's just kind of the way these things work, right? But it would be good, like, definitely something that inspires us to hit the microphones is when we get really insightful questions or good, like, conversation from listeners and stuff. So that's great. So, yeah. yeah. No, um, so keep that up um, when it comes in yeah, we've got so, a good few uh, questions this week and we've been having um, our usual sort of contact through all the various social media platforms with people sort of passing comments or posing questions so we always look forward to getting those so keep those coming as well um, so we'll talk about news Adam first of all well, that's normally what we start with isn't it time honoured uh, fashion um, and there's, a, there's only really one topic I want to talk about and uh, it's as three letters Bit of a bugbear of mine. Yeah, um, it, it's VAR once again um, yeah. has been dominating the headlines. Um, and I suppose the the obvious thing to talk about so far as VAR is the uh, Spurs-Liverpool game, which has also generated a lot of um, media attention on the issue of VAR and probably more importantly on referees. Mm. Um should I just give a brief summary of what happened for in the unlikely event that any of our listeners haven't yeah. um seen what happened? It was a it was a really great game to watch. Um and it was really sort of both teams attacking re- as a neutral, really enjoyable to to watch the game. And I think it was I can't remember what the score was. It was I I think this was to go one nil up, I think, for yeah, Liverpool. Th- something tells me it was either to go one up or to go two one two up. One up. It, was it was for them to take up, the lead, I think. I think. Yeah. I think it was two one because uh there was a lot of sort of memes afterwards saying, How do you go from this? And it was a screenshot of them being two one up on the score line, and then to them losing two one sort of a few minutes later. Yeah, right. Um so Liverpool scored uh, a goal, and I think it was Diaz who scored it. It was. And to anybody watching it in real time, it looked like it was fine. Um, it was a. It looked like it was a close to being offside. But my instinct when I watched it immediately was, I think he's just on. And uh, the, obviously, everybody expects the next thing to happen is. The VAR screens come on the screen. They draw the the white lines to show the respective positions of the the players, and you get your VAR decision. Um, the assistant flagged it for offside, and it, then next thing it said, VAR check over, and we never saw the the lines appearing on the screen. Everyone thought it was a bit funny, and I think Gary Neville, who was sort of one of the people commentating at the time, said that's all a bit odd. That doesn't seem right to me. That seems to have been done very very quickly. And they were complaining they hadn't been shown the, the VR footage which they normally would see. Anyway, it transpires that the VAR team had done the check, they had drawn the lines, and it was onside. 
it's quite a way um, on side too. Like in real yeah, time, I mean, I, at that level, I can understand why the, the assistant isn't a hundred percent certain. But like you know, it's not it's not like you're you're looking at the hair of a knee. Like it's a good foot length on side. Yeah, although well, the assistant had, had had flagged for it, so I mean, the assistant the assistant um, flagged for offside, didn't he? Yeah, it's in fact cross side. Okay. Yeah, so he thought, it was, but it, it, you know, I can understand that it was, it, it wasn't. Uh, uh, I mean, I've not done a obvious. lot of. I've not done any yeah. Premier League football, but the, the the little interactions I have had with players who play in the Premier League and running the line to them, it is so hard. Like, oh my god! Like I, I, they I are can't so begin to fast. imagine. Like I mean, yeah. I was running the line as a well, I was probably like twenty eight. I was running the line to Matty Etherington, who is probably who at this point was still was in the West Ham first team, and he yeah. is he was probably like in his thirties, probably like thirty one at this point, and um, his pace was like unbelievable, and it was just so hard, especially when you get the defenders and the attackers crossing. Like it's such a hard thing to pick up. It, it, I, I mean, I've said before, I, I, I've um been assistant on some some semi-pro games I, i've said remarked before about it is frightening how quick these players mm. are and that and that's at the semi-professional level mm. and I'm, we're, we're talking several tiers up the pyramid from that you know with yep. premier athletes who you know some of the fastest people when they run and so of course it's easy to understand why in those margin decisions they will occasionally get them wrong and we know mm. statistically assistants get it right very vast majority of occasions and occasionally there's errors. But the misunderstanding that took place was this. VAR thought the goal had been given. And so they simply said, check over, uh, which would have meant, obviously, that the on-field decision would remain. And they thought it was a goal. But, of course, the referee and the assistant who flagged offside had given us offside. And so they simply continued play. And then... What's happened subsequent to all of this is they've released unusually the audio, um, audio which most people, if they're keen football fans and referees, they will have probably heard it because it was on social media and a lot of talk about it on Twitter. And I mean, it's it's quite cringeworthy because... Twitter, what's Twitter? Formerly known as... Don't roll um, your eyes. And <laughs> the, look, the look of disdain on your face when I said that. <laughs> but it's just pe- this painful audio where... Play has been restarted. And they're trying um, to stop play, I know. And they're trying to stop it, saying, can, can you stop it? Can you stop it? And the person, in fact, the person that realises there's been an error was the was the, um, the chap referee. running the technology. No, it was yeah, the okay. chap running the technology, not not the assistant, not the VAR the people. V, it was the VAR assistant. The, who, who, yeah. I think... I think on anyway, the subtitles, but, he comes up as VAR assistant. I thought that was... Right, like, okay. I so thought they, that they, was they, the they VAR assistant him, referee. I don't know, but yeah. No, I, I didn't think it's because they, they referred to him as the tech guy, or cool. I can't remember the company that runs, is it Hawkeye or something like that? Anyway, because be it's, like, it's, it's like the Hawkeye person. Yeah, okay. It's basically saying, no, 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 you know, they, 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 they've got the it wrong. should stand, yeah. Goal should stand. And I mean, and then it's sort of expletives, as you expect, when suddenly everybody realizes there's been an almighty balls up. Um, yes. Now, uh, now. now. So, so now, so the first thing I want to ask you, Adam. This is the the entire thing that VAR was meant to stop, right? Oh, I mean, <laughs> please don't don't like like the uh, one thing VAR was meant to it or is meant to eradicate is wrong offsides the, the, and the disallowing only thing of goals. That, that has been 
are remotely good at doing. In fact, is, is the offsides, but mm. well, it's still flawed. But what I was going to say to you is, there were a lot of people saying on Twitter, "Well, hold on, the referee gets in his ear," you know. A minute later, after the game's restarted, stop. it's a goal mm. to stop. Um, and people, lots of people understand me saying on Twitter, well, why didn't that once they realized the error, why didn't they just stop play? Because you can't and give the goal. He's restarted play. Well, which is which is the bit if you're a referee when you're watching the audio, that's the bit that you get really uncomfortable. You're like, Oh, why have you restarted play? Like, I know. Like, why like and obviously he, the, the referee, um, it was Darren English, wasn't it? Um, the, the referee, he's only he's only going to restart play if he feels like he's 100% certain in what's going on, right? Like, none of us restart play unless we feel like we've got control of the decision and control of, yeah. of or what's going on while the ball is stopped. And a part of me wonders on this is whether play... I mean, play does get restarted pretty quickly considering VAR's involved, right? And I wonder yeah. if they, they were also trying to put a bit of pressure on to, like, speed the game up a little bit still during VAR stuff. And whether Very that's possibly. kind of just led to a little bit of, you know, like, and the thing is in refereeing, you only need a win, a very small window of indecision or a very small window of, of a moment for an error like this to become cataclysmic. Like, you know, like it's probably, the thing is, is in terms of the game, he's probably had a really good game other than this one, this one moment and this one tiny decision where you've got four brains trying to tell one brain what to do. Well, in, interesting. I'm not. I'm not sure everybody would actually agree that he had a good game because, okay. of course, I haven't watched it. He he, he gave uh, a red card. The VAR um, asked him to go to the screen to look at the replay of a challenge, mm. um, which he'd initially given a yellow for, mm. and um, he then saw the footage and gave the the red. Mm. And just to to explain that, what had happened is one of the Liverpool players had gone in. And put their foot on the ball, but the, their foot had slipped off, right? So he obviously yeah, wasn't going in foot up to, to no, hurt anybody. He'd gone to put his foot on the ball and it slides off and goes into the ankle or the shin. And what's interesting is when, when, when the referees ask to go over and to look at the screen, they've got it on pause at the point beyond the slip, right? So the first image the referee gets is there's a foot they don't get the context yeah. in someone's shin, right? And I think it's very difficult, having seen that initial image, which on anybody's view, if you show that to anybody, I would probably say 99% of people would say, that's a red. Yeah. But then it goes back and it shows how it clearly wasn't a malicious challenge. He wasn't no, trying to but I, I, think I've, I think I have watched this and I do think it should be a red. Like, I think whenever someone's slipping over the ball, whether he slipped or not, when you're, when you're making that kind of contact on the shin of a of an opponent it's it's a it's an excessive force challenge intent or not like you can't judge intent whether it's deliberate or not like he's he's got a lot of force going into another player slipped yeah, or I, otherwise I, see i i don't think there was a, a lot of force went into it that's the problem right, but okay. anyway um, but i didn't say that because no. um, you were just sort of saying about whether the referee had a good game yeah yeah I'm okay not, i'm not I'm, i think he's been subject to some criticism anyway but um I mean, this every referee. I mean, every, I imagine every professional referee's nightmare. This sort of situation happening because you know they they've restarted, and it's just a shame that I'm, I'm just a bit puzzled as to why there wasn't a bit more chat. And just you know, I mean, instinctively well, like, it, you want to say definitely, definitely offside or or something. Mm, that watching it back, it I mean, watching it back, it just felt like they, yeah, it just felt like um, 
they, they it seemed to me I think they were under pressure to to restart the game as quickly as possible. That's how it felt to me, just because of the lack yeah. of confirmation. Like it felt like to me the on-field team didn't confirm with the VAR team. No, and, and I that agree. that missing confirmation has caused the issue. Now, like the thing I have with it is, I know you you generally approach these things from a fan's point of view, and I generally don't because I don't watch a lot of football. But um, the way the way it feels to me with VAR is, it was designed to take away mistakes in like obvious clear and obvious mistakes in refereeing right but it does feel like to me all that's occurring because of it is it's highlighting and making a bigger deal out of mistakes and it's I, i feel like it's just eroding elements of trust between referees and the wider public whether that be oh, yeah. at the professional game but that whatever happens in that professional game always filters down onto us and this erosion because because of the drama behind something like this it's just it's not making referees look in their best light now i understand like we all make mistakes i understand errors happen and i have complete empathy for everyone who was on that game like these things happen what can you do but the like you know you've now got liverpool coming out going we're seriously like we're taking legal action or whatever they threaten to do because it's against the the sporting what they say it's against um the spirit not the spirit of the game like it's something to do with like the sporting nature of competition or something they think this error calls that into question which is basically you're saying the referees are cheating us and like it's a very 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 corrosive and divisive thing like the only way referees and football are ever going to move forward together in terms of losing the disrespect that goes on to referees, in terms of players and fans and managers and coaches understanding the game we have and the balance we have to, to apply and, and, and the fact we do the job in a very difficult circumstance all the time, the only way that is going to happen is if everyone moves forward together in the same way. And these moments, and the, all VAR is doing, it essentially is all it does as a tool is highlight referee errors. Yeah? yeah. Like you look at the the Women's World Cup, all it did, it, I think a hundred, I think 99%, I think one decision, the referee didn't reverse their decision on the field after a VAR review across the entire Women's World Cup. So therefore you're saying the ref you're you're openly exposing referees to mistakes. And even if like there used to be a really strong argument for referee that you know like whether that was offside or not doesn't matter the referee's made his decision that's the final decision we all move on and get on with it and gareth southgate in fact i read gareth southgate's interview ahead of the internationals and he said the same thing he was like look we just got on with it the referee made an error or didn't we agreed or we didn't agree but we learned to get on with it whereas now all that's happening is it's casting doubt in players minds on referees' decisions, it's casting down in the referees' minds on their own decisions, and it's it's causing division. And you only have to look at politics at the moment. And politics of the divisive isn't helping society in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I, I just I, I no longer see the benefits of AAR. I mean, mm. it it was sold on the basis of we're gonna get rid of all these glaring errors. Well, there aren't that many glaring errors that were taking place before. You know, mm. occasionally there'd been somebody who would escape the yellow and it could have should have been a red. Occasionally a goal would have been scored or disallowed when it was or wasn't offside. 
Um, but in the main, the statistics showed that professional referees were getting it right in the very vast majority of, of cases. And if they can't get, you know, the offside bit right now, then then I just I just think, what are we bothering with it for? And mm. the um, argument, I mean, the argument against that is they are getting most of the offside things right. Okay, like we are also as a society, as the media, as whoever, as people who watch and commentate on football, we are focusing on the one percent. That is not indicative of the overall VAR system, right? Like that message of they got this offside wrong. If they're not getting that right, they're getting most of them right. When an offside goes well, to a VAR the, the, review, the, the, it is correct. They are from a sort of technical point of view. But I, I'm, I'm, if I'm really honest, I don't really, I'm not interested anymore in waiting three minutes to see graphics which show that there's a toe or a, a, a heel that's mm. keeping somebody on or offside, right? Mm. I just think that is ridiculous. Uh, and also, the more I read about VAR and the problems with the cameras and the frame speed, I'm not even convinced anymore that there, that the, there isn't even a bigger margin of error than we've been told already mm. and and so I, I i mean i'm 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 now firmly with you i was before but i mean more firmly with you that vr is serving no meaningful purpose what's interesting is that the uh i i think the premier league rejected the proposal that would they introduced the automatic offside in the premier league this season so as you know in the champions league they have it's an automatic var thing that's why we get those lovely graphics where you show you the images, the people, and it comes up pretty much straight away, right? And that was in a play. I don't know if you saw the Champions League game the other night uh, between PSG and Newcastle. You know, that it looked like, it generally looked like an offside for the one uh, Newcastle's goals, but that graphic comes up and it obviously wasn't. And we elected not to introduce that this season. I don't know why, whether it was a question about whether everybody had the right, the sufficient technology for it or not. But it seems to me that's the only, that's the only point in having it. If you're going to have it, it's going to be quick. We're going to get the graphics so that everybody can understand. Uh, but if we're not going to get that, then I'm afraid I just don't don't think we should be having it. And yeah. I, I think if we are keeping VAR, and I know I've said this before, but I think we hear, we need to hear the audio. But you know, we just need to hear the audio of what's going on. If they, I don't like the situation whereby when they make an almighty it just balls gets up, silence, don't you? Yeah. They, they, they decide, oh, we're going to re exceptionally release the audio for this particular occasion. Just be transparent about it. It's, mm. I keep saying it. Professional rugby is such a joy to watch because as a spectator, you understand everything that's going on. It's just mm. so transparent. You know, mm. what, what have they got to hide in, their, in ha having these discussions? Mm. Yep. Um, but also, the, 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 the thing that's come out of it, which I from, I'm most troubled about from a refereeing perspective, is obviously because Liverpool have made their complaints about it, and we all know they got it wrong. The uh, Premier League uh, refereeing body have said that English won't now referee any other games for Liverpool this season, right? I have a huge problem with that because it wasn't when, when, it wasn't really his fault. Well, it's not. It wasn't written. I mean, okay, it was. It was on his watch. He was the referee in the middle. Yeah. It is his fault, uh, ultimately, because you know he's in charge of the, the game. But the point is, if we get to a stage where if clubs start complaining and there's been a clear and obvious error, are, are we then going to say, actually, yes, you, that referee won't referee for that team anymore this season? I know. Because I think that does, I think that does two things. I think it undermines 
confidence in referees because it gives the impression that yep. you're, you're having to stop them refereeing a particular team because there's a bias involved. It also undermines also us gives completely. Club, it also gives clubs the power to start trying to dictate who their referees are going to be. Yeah, and I also see a dangerous path to walk down. As soon as you start allowing or making decisions about, oh, well, that referee made an almighty mistake against that team, we won't let having referee that team again this season. I mean, I'm being deadly serious in saying we haven't got millions of referees. You know, you're going to come to a situation whereby you, you won't have a, a, an official to go in the middle because they'll be, you know, barred from refereeing certain clubs. I, I'm, I'm really disappointed in their decision to do that because I think it basically is always an acceptance in- that... He's, it, he's there was motive in what he did in fairness in fairness we don't know whether the referee might have said can you keep me away from liverpool for the rest of the season as well like because i like i've done that like not for an entire season but you know if i've had a tough game and then i'm, I'm like and just things didn't go well in that game and then i'm due to see that club again in two weeks i might just say look can, can you just switch me around and, and i'll see them again when it comes around naturally like i just need a bit more space and time away from those but people the, but the premier league do that anyway because if there's you been a controversial so. game yeah that if they if they've been shown to balls up that yeah. we all get told oh that that team of but referees that, i mean up that, next match and also that also being said is i mean you're you're thinking it you're thinking it from the point of view that Liverpool have dictated that and I can see why and that might well be the truth but also in the world we live in like sending you know like the abuse that Darren's probably got for it from fans etc etc and and football community or what uh, you know he's it's probably just for his own like safety as well to a degree and I, I, I have empathy with that I can see the other side of it as well. And really and truly, the, the difficult thing there is they publicised that decision. Just don't publicise it. Just keep it I, in house. I'm quite confident that that is being done by the Premier League body of referees. No, and that's fine. In, in an yeah. attempt to he- take the heat out of the situation, to appease yeah. Liverpool a bit, to say he won't refute again this season. Mm. But as I say, I think that is problematic on both fronts well that also and, takes him out of potential FA Cup fixtures potential yeah. like and big fixtures for him as a referee right and essentially you know I, I don't think I don't think he's let I don't think like he's let himself down or anything like I just think the system at large has let football down at large around the whole situation do you know what I mean that's that's kind of how yeah, it feels but I mean in, in the past when referees have made mistakes right they've been taken out of a, you know the next weekend's ac- action, or it might there might be a bit of a break for their referee that team again. But the problem is when you say that, that referee won't referee them again, you are accepting that, that it wasn't just an error because if it was just an error, we all make mistakes and mm. people just keep doing it. Yeah. But when you acknowledge and say no, he won't referee you again, you're almost acknowledging that. Um, there was something more to it than just doing a simple mistake, mm. and I think that's dang- I think it's very dangerous precedent to set um, from is it PGMOL or whatever they're called. But yeah, the professional games of match officials. Yeah, limited. Um, um, so once again, VAR providing lots of talking point and nothing really positive to be said about it. I mean, Shall we move on to something positive? Because, I mean, it's been a while since we had an epic Ed rant, but I did enjoy that. It's got to be said. Um, <laughs> you know, I sent you those. Like, do you remember UEFA asked elite Swedish referee Glenn Nyberg to share some advice for officials who are just starting out? 
Shall we yeah. quickly run through those? Yeah, let's run through those. So, um, yeah, like I saw this on a Facebook page, I think. Uh, and yeah, it was it was it was on a Facebook page because I I think you and I both follow lots of sort of referee groups oh, on Facebook. Too, too, like too many now. Too many. Like, I, I didn't even yeah. know this world existed. <laughs> I'm getting a bit tired of it. But uh, it's nice because we found a lot of listeners that way. So that's good. And they do send us nice messages, which is also good. So, yeah, they just asked him five things, like, um, for advice for officials who are just starting out. And you know what? Even if you're not starting. Who was the chap they asked again? He it was, was uh, uh, UEFA elite Swedish referee Glenn Nyberg. Um, right, there we go. That's and um, I actually don't think this is just for people who are starting out, to be honest. I think these would be no, useful, I agree no matter who you are. Yeah. Yeah, so number absolutely. one, what do you think number one was, Ed? Without looking. Oh, he's looked. Well, just spoiling the game. I'm, I'm not a bloody magician. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. So they asked your Premier League referee for, for his five points of advice, and I'm meant to guess what was number one. Bloody hell. I mean, this is this it's not, is not nice. you, Wait, to be fair, you do this to me every single week. Yes, when so it comes not to unfair, hard it? fact. No, it's not. Not, not, fun, not, not someone's individual opinion. perceptions as to what the most important things about being a referee. Crikey. Well, I can tell you, Adam, that his first point <laughs> was um, love what you do. Yeah. Do you uh, love refereeing? Do I love refereeing? I don't think I. No, I don't think I do love refereeing. Uh, that's, that's probably a terrible thing to say when Not when his first point is love what you do. <laughs> and this whole and this whole podcast is about encouraging. And referees. there we go. That's thanks for joining in for this week's episode. Uh, yeah, and, uh, we'll we, see you next week. It's been a fun year, but Ed just killed the podcast, everybody. Uh, no, because if I loved what I if I loved refereeing, mm. right, I'd be pursuing my sort of career up the refereeing ladder i and think i think the be reason, doing more of it but i think the reason you don't do that is because just how like how against it you are politically does that make sense no what do you mean well you just you quite openly stated how much you dislike the fa <laughs> oh yeah no I, I i have real issues with the fa but i mean those, those are long-standing they're not just refereeing related but right, okay um no i think i think i really enjoy refereeing Okay, because mm. obviously if I didn't really enjoy it, I wouldn't do it, right? Yeah, okay. But I love but, it. But but I don't love it. You don't love think, it as I much th- as you love me. Obviously, I don't, yeah, <laughs> goes without saying. I mean, I'm, are you blushing? You, are you blushing? But, the fact you finally got married. I mean, I'm still <laughs> only just come to terms with it now. Um, is that no, why? So, is that why we've not recorded much recently? If you've yeah, been so I've not been returning your messages, I think it's just better to have a clean break for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, I think if th- I think if you want to be, I think if you want to have a career as a referee, and I don't want to have a career as a referee. That's the distinction. Mm. Yeah. If you want to have a career as a referee, I think you do need to love it because mm. you know you're not you're not going to retire on the amount of money you make from refereeing. You get you get a lot of grief and abuse. Mm. Um, it it can be tough, and I think if you're going to do it, you you do need to love it. Um, I mean, yeah. you you presumably do love refereeing. Yeah, I think I do. I mean, look, I've gone through phases in my life where I didn't like I retired for three years didn't I yeah um and and I was more than happy to completely give it up it wasn't until I got into a space like I'm in here in Queensland where it actually started to bring back everything that I wanted kind of out of the game to me you know like I I have that freedom and that joy and one one thing that's made a massive difference about being here in in England compared to sorry being here in Australia compared to England is 
you can do more game. Like I, I can ref, I can actually be a referee here. Whereas in England, the level I was at, you was really an assistant referee who refereed yeah. sometimes. I remember lining up to do games, and I, I like, I'd have the ball in my hands, and I'd be like, "What am I doing? This, where's my flag? Like, this feels alien to me." Like, I, I, and, and I was on the referee pathway. Like, it was very, it was very frustrating when you're only refereeing once every six weeks. You can't hit a rhythm. You can't hit. Um, you can't, you know, hit your stride. Whereas here, I just fell into a rhythm and fell into a groove and, and really found my voice as a referee. Um, yeah. And and that and that bred confidence. And when I was full of confidence, like that's when it really started to light up. So, it, yeah. It, that, I think that is important though, because you, you are right to a certain extent when you say that I have political difficulty. And actually, whilst you were just talking, I was sort of mulling it over. And, and, and you are right about that because... I think, actually, I would have liked to progress up the refereeing ladder. I'm not saying mm. I had any great aspirations, but I would have liked to have done. But my experience of dealing with officials from the FA, I'm afraid, has very much damaged my relationship with them. Yeah. And the, the idea that I would to, to pursue and advance my career as a referee, I would be entirely in, in the hands the, of yeah. people who, I'm afraid to say, I have a I have big issues with them. And, I, and I'll, I'll say it again, I've said it many times before, there is a, a fundamental problem in so far as dealing with the issues of diversity within mm. the FA. And um, it, it is a still, despite efforts being made over years, it's still an ongoing problem. Mm. And I do not like the fact that it is a, a, a predominantly a hierarchy of old uh, white males who are mm. governing the game of football. I have mm. issues with that. And so, yeah, I, th I think that has impacted upon whether I wanted to pursue career, career in refereeing, which is a that. shame, really. Yeah, um, Glenn just says passion's the biggest thing as a referee. Um, you know, he said his father was an assistant referee, so it was in his blood. And he was a role model. And he just um, just got on with it. Like, you know, it's good to have him at his matches because it gave him gave him some experience on the sidelines to reflect on and stuff like that. So that's good. Yeah, Number two... I was, oh, sorry, I was going to say, I think what's interesting is he says that if you love being a referee and, and you show everybody that you love it, then players will accept you more. That I think is that's a very good right. point. Yeah, that's, that's a very that's good right. point. Yeah, People that's something you are enthusiastically involved in doing because you really want to do it. Then I think they will um, appreciate you a bit. That's more. something I've noticed because they players definitely like players are very passionate about playing football, right? And yeah, that might sound like the most obvious statement ever, but. When they see your passion for refereeing matches their passion for playing, it does build yeah, a respect so. for the game, which is good. Number two, he says, master the laws of the game. Well, I'm just disappointed that Glenn didn't give a, a link to our podcast, podcast at this point. <laughs> that being said, though, <laughs> I did a I did a laws test, like a like a random kind of strange laws test, just that I came across in our system, um, just for fun. Um, this is how silly it is, right? That one I didn't do too well on, but before that. I did a laws test that one of my colleagues put together and I got like a hundred percent on handball. So it just goes to show that, you know, I have my issues with laws tests, but you should know the laws of the game. Definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it is an obvious point. And, and to be honest, I kind of think that mastering the laws of the game should be number one. In it's because you're a lawyer. Important things. Well, yeah. As opposed, I mean, to, as opposed to my approach, make it up as you go along. <laughs> our, our, our role as referees is to apply the law to football. <laughs> and if you don't know the law, um, you're not going to be a very good referee. I agree. Um, oh, I do agree. But no, he, 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 he's definitely right about that. Um, number three, um, he says, get your positioning right. 
Mm. Well, we've talked about that a lot, and I hope we've given some fairly good, helpful, and practical advice to all levels of referees. I would like to. Well. I would like to definitely do an episode on that, though. Yeah, where, I agree. Where we, where we really go through kind of the the intricacies of of positioning and fitness and stuff. Well, we we keep saying that um, when we kind of finish our laws, we want to move on to having some guests and. Mm. Some of the guests we've identified are referees who are refereeing at you know a good level. So mm. um, that might be sort of sort of topics we can pick up there. But I really think that he's he's right about that. Positioning is so so important for all sorts of different reasons. Um, so I agree with number three. Yeah, number four. Believe in yourself and forget your mistakes. I think but that's really sensible. Advice. It's true for life advice. Just good life advice, isn't it? Yeah. It, it the the you know you, you can't change things that have happened so you've got to sort of learn to deal with them and you've got to be able to learn to you know not have those mistakes hold you back and we've talked about this before uh, about sort of the techniques you can use within a game to buy yourself a bit of breathing space between a mistake and then your next sort of big decision but yeah it's re it's really important because well, we you, you well, do dwell on those sorts of things one of um, the key one of the key things about being a referee and it's something that i i i have naturally in my well not naturally but it's one thing i've always worked on in my life is the concept of resilience and yeah. um that's basically i mean i can't remember what the exact definition of resilience is but it is basically forgetting your mistakes and being able to move on so it's the capacity to withstand or recover quickly from difficulties and yeah. and that's basically all you have to do um that's the most important thing as a referee you know like it's not about it's not about not making mistakes. It's, it's that famous. Is it the Spider Man? It's not you know. Um, it's not what happens. It's not in never falling. It's how you get up from the fall, and that that really is is I think for me that probably be number one. Just uh, like just being able to recover very quickly. I always talk about yeah. how how quickly it took Howard Webb to recover from missing that red card in the World Cup final. Yeah, yeah. You know when um. I think it was one of the French players drop kicked. Oh no, it was the Man City player, wasn't it? For Brazil, De Jong was it? Nigel De Jong got he, he either drop kicked or he got drop kicked in the chest or something. And um, I think he was Dutch. It was like might have been Dutch Brazil. Anyway, yeah. And Webb just missed it. You know, in the first few minutes yeah. of the World Cup final, and he just recovered and so quickly. And they 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 analysed it with his body language. Um, and yes, it's very important. You know, mistakes do happen, and like you said, the example he gives is you know sometimes you get things like a thrown wrong, you'll miss something, mm. you know. But you, if you don't let that sort of dominate your mind frame after that. Every everybody makes mistakes. It's just a, that's just a fact of life, and mm -hmm. so you know you just keep on going. Um, and it's almost as though do you know what's quite quite encouraging, quite validating. Adam is that. I think the the five points he's made. So we're going to come to number five in a moment, which is communication. But the, these have all these points have all like permeated. I think through the entirety of our podcast, from beginning to end. Yeah, you're right. All these all these topics have come up, and we we've I think it's been saying exactly the exact same things as he said. But he says it's number five. Communication is you know really important. Refereeing it's part of your role in leading the match, and that might ex involve you having to you know explain decisions, etc. Et and we've talked about that so often. And I said that I learned from watching people like you and others that, um, you know, communication, explaining your decisions, uh, why you've come to them, acknowledging sometimes when you might have made a mistake. I think that's all really, really important. He also um, says right at the bottom of that, which I think is one of them is a very important thing in terms of communication for life, not just for for um, 
for refereeing. Finally, there's also your assistant referees, if you have them. Now with AR, sometimes the refereeing team can be six, seven, eight people. But he says, we all need to talk to each other and listen. And I, I, the only thing that disappoints me with that is he doesn't even say, like, players as well. Like, yeah. if, if you listen to players, if you listen to people, it, it gives you much more power to, to stand your ground with your decisions. Because if you're listening to them, they're going to listen to you. And, and so definitely listening is a very key aspect of, of refereeing as well. Yeah. Um, listening to the game, listening to the temperature, listening to the mood, listening to lots of different things um, can be really useful out there. Um, I'd be really encouraged to like hear other people's like top five bits of what, yeah, how did they phrase really it? Interesting. Um, let's get the phrasing right. So some advice for officials who are just starting out. So what would your top as a listener Send it in, and we'll we'll go through them next week. What would be your top or, 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 five? Also, and regardless of your level, because I think and even people with a very limited experience of refereeing can still Absolutely. say, you know, the five most important points. And if if, if people sort of run to us in a fairly succinct way, then we can, you know, post some of them on go our through. social media. So yeah, that'd be awesome. Can, um, have a look at them. Um, that'd be yeah. awesome. Right, should we get on to the law? Oh, they're not going to we're not doing any post bag, Adam. Oh crap! I forgot all about um, questions. Forgot, at this forgot point, about the listeners. At this point, I'm going to get told off if I don't do a little shout out to my colleague Sean, right? And Sean and I have this little game which I want to introduce to the podcast at some point. And it's I basically come up with a really crazy scenario in the context of football, and he has to tell me what the decision would be. And he's not a referee, so it's a good fun game. Um, so I think that'd be a good game for us to play. So like I'd say to him something <laughs> stupid, like, um, like you've sent off five players from one team and the game Ooh. goes to, and the game goes to a penalty shootout. <laughs> what do you do? Um, like, and, and he has to figure it out and it's quite good. And I've got I've, like, cause they're all in our, um, like our chat. So I could probably no, good. We can dig them out. Yeah. Point, I'll but... dig them out at some point. So, yeah. So I just thought I'd um, quickly throw that in there now as a little teaser for the future. Can, can we, pick up on the question we had in the last episode from Brody Simpson, who mm -hmm. you'll remember was talking about, you know, whether referees should take pride in giving out, giving out cards. cards. Yeah. And, and, and I kind of sort of very quickly dismissed that and said, of course you shouldn't have ridiculous. And Brody, uh, bless him. Is now no longer up. listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, there goes another one. Um, no, Brody messages after the podcast and said, I just want to clear up some thoughts. I 100% agree with what you and Ed were saying, but can I rephrase the question? Uh, should referees glorify handing out cards, e.g. E showing photos of them doing so? Well, I think we kind of answered the first part of that, should they glorify handing out cards? And I, I was made my position very, very clear. You did. Um, now, sharing photographs of you handing out yellow cards is a slightly different topic. Um, I mean, can I just point out, this podcast is called Red or Yellow. It's literally about the cards <laughs> of the game. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't have a problem uh, if a referee on social media, for example, has as one of their profile picks them brandishing a yellow or red card, right? There's nothing wrong with that. It's the classic pose of a referee. referee it's the thing that most people think about when they think about referees i don't think it'd be advisable to post a picture relating to a game that's only just occurred because i think that's just likely mm. to irritate and inflame 
people, you know, if they see that you're kind of you are sort of gloating about the fact you gave a yellow card to somebody. So I, I, I think that my, my answer is if it's just a picture of you branching a card and it doesn't show the players or doesn't relate to recent game, then I don't think it's any issue with that at all. Mm-hmm. I'd be very careful about posting pictures that maybe people have given to you that they took of you handing out cards in a match because I'm just not sure what that achieved. I'm not sure what you'd achieve by doing that other yeah. than probably just irritate the people that were involved in the game. Yeah, um, no, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm inclined to agree. I think I think it also depends on like the caption. Like if you're showing it and then you're like, oh, I'm so glad I nailed this player. He was being a dick the whole game or something. Like you're obviously going to be in trouble there, right? Like I'm just going through my social media right now and looking at um some images of me refereeing and there's some where I look like a real angry man out there. Do you know what I mean? And Yeah, like, that's, that's, that's part. I, I don't think there's like, a problem with that. No. With, with pictures of you refereeing. I, and um, I just think, like, I think it depends. Like, firstly, look, the the most important thing on this is if like because a, a lot of a lot of like youngsters a lot of school kids they referee their friends and stuff like that right now yeah. if you're going to share a photo of you brandishing a red card to someone who there's a potential that that photo might get back to that person very quickly the second like within that a day or two of you posting it or yeah. whatever I'd probably say that's, that's that's not wise. So your comment about give give some space and time between the two incidents is probably a good thing between the game and and the rest of it. So just let temperatures flare down and things calm down a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you know it, it does depend on the caption. If you're going, oh look, here I am out refereeing, really enjoyed this game. It was a good game and stuff. Like that's fine. Like as long as you're being objective about it and you're not you're not subjecting opinion on people, I think it's fine. Yeah. Cool. Um, no, I agree with that. So, thank you, Brody. Um, and what, what, what other ones do you pick out for us to have a look um, at this week, Adam? Oh, this is a very good question, and it's always so difficult a situation. So, Dan McIver, hey Dan, hope you're well. Thanks for listening. Uh, asked us at a grassroots level, how quickly should I whistle for an offside offence? Should it be as soon as passes played if the player is in an offside position or wait and see if the player that was offside does touch the ball next? Confused, as obviously now modern-day top-level ARs leave the flag until really late. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, personally, I think this is a fairly easy uh, one to answer. I think you, you, you do wait until the player has touched the ball before you uh, do anything. Um, because we've all had that nightmare scenario where you know you've gone to you've given the offside on the basis of of course he's offside, but you hadn't been able to see somebody else was running in or something like that. So you know you, you have to apply the, the, the law. And it's until they play the ball that they. I suppose the first the first line of, the first line of difficulty here is the fact that if it, you know he says at grassroots level, so from that. I'm going to assume he's based in England. I don't know. But he's probably not got assistant referees, right? Like, no, I'm sure. So, so yeah, that yeah. makes it equally more difficult. What I would say is there are some situations where you can just blow it. Like, that there are, but just like, don't get into the habit of blowing it quickly. Like, no. make sure you get into the habit of looking around. And if there is literally just one attacker running towards the ball that's rolling towards the corner and he was in an offside position, then I think there's nothing wrong with you blowing that there. Because in I those agree. kinds of really obvious situations, it just frustrates everyone, especially like your I local know, league players, because they ain't fit enough to, to do that, right? Um, 
and it that and that you want to eradicate that kind of dissent. You just want to get rid of any opportunity for dissent. Um, but generally, like you, I would suggest as well, you have a proper, good, clear look around. Absolutely. And then also, when people complain, you go, "Why didn't you blow that quicker?" Like obviously, we all saw it. But I was just checking. I was looking around. Like I was making sure yeah. that nothing else was going to happen. It gives you a way out there. Um, it's it's I'm always not, difficult, like because technically someone's not in an offside position until they have um, until they become active. So yeah. it, it's it's not necessarily whether they've touched the ball. The touching of the ball is like your exact safety net, right? That's and that's why it's in there because that's your safety net. Once they've touched the ball, they're clearly active. But if yeah. you feel like you can justify they've become active, whether a player is, is going to run in behind. If you can justify the player who's offside was active and has affected the defender in some way, shape, or form, then you can whistle for it a bit earlier. I would suggest caution is probably better, though, than, than trying to be a, a slick-looking, sharp-witted, very fast-minded referee because you're yeah. going to slip up more often than not unless you until you just keep waiting for objective fact to guide you. Yeah, I think I think that's all spot on. I think that's spot on. I mean, I think you're right in saying that, you know, there are some glaring other situations whereby it would be ridiculous to wait until they became active because they're the only player that's going to get to the ball and it's a clear offside position. I it's interesting, you sort of said, you know, most grassroots players wouldn't referees wouldn't have um assistance. I'm not sure assistants at grassroots actually make the job of the referee when it comes to offsides. Any better because oh, yeah, not if they're like club assistants. Like yeah, when I say an assistant referee, just, I mean a neutral. Oh, you mean a, a, an actual yeah, sorry, referee, yeah. a qualified yeah. referee? I mean, I'm not talking about club. club like, I'm not assistants. Talk, yeah, I'm not talking about disaster. You know, yeah, they are. They're an but, absolute and because disaster. They don't understand the laws, and they will, of course. This is why it's hugely problematic. They will put the flag up for offside, right? Before the players become active, I know. because that, they misunderstand, and so everybody suddenly stops, yep. and so it actually makes your job even worse. But um, haven't, we, haven't we discussed this before? Like when I was doing that in the UK, I I would make it very clear, very clear to the captains, and I would make sure the yeah, captains I, made I, it very I do clear that in every game that my whistle determines offside. Yeah, of course it does, because players it still are, happens. Players are players. And, and sometimes I'm even having to shout out that the player's on side to so everybody can hear me overruling the decision. Because yeah. the problem is at grassroots, everybody just suddenly stops as soon as mm. as soon as some random substitute puts a puts yep. their um high vis bib up to flag for somebody being offside, everybody suddenly stops and then suddenly somebody else runs through. And you know, but that's it's just that's the good thing. Like that, I mean that I say that's a good thing. Like you, you proactive refereeing, right? Play, 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 play. Like you just keep shouting when that happens. Yeah. Go onside, onside, onside. Like I do it even when I've got comms professional assistants yeah. and I'm doing, yeah. you know, like the, the third tier of football in Queensland. Like I'm screaming, play, do not, like, even if, like, if the players think it's offside and it's not, yeah, I yeah, am yeah. telling them it is not offside as loud as I can um, because that definitely, definitely, definitely just helps manage situations like that. And yeah, then you no, hope one defender listens to you. Yeah. And that, that, that's all you can, that's all you really can do. So, I mean, I'm very vocal, especially if I'm overruling somebody who's plainly, you know, mm. not in line with the, the, the last player, uh, the last offender and it and they sort of flagged and they got it completely wrong and and I'm shouting out you know onside um keep you know play on um yeah I mean I, just, I always chat 
to assistants about trying to explain to them that they've got to keep in line. But well, that's just reminded me. Like I, I, you can say to an assistant, you need to keep in line, and they're not going to listen to you. But I used to always frame the conversation thus. I used to say, guys, if if there's a tie, if there's an offside decision, and you are not in line, like not even close to in line, if you are like five, ten yards up the line, and you raise your flag. I am not giving that offside. Now, no, it's your team that you're in charge of, okay? So if you want your team to do well today, it is your responsibility to make sure that when I look, because you think it's offside, that you are in a position that I can deem credible. And if you're not, yeah. I will just overrule the decision Absolutely. and I will tell yeah. your club to get on with it. And that is your responsibility. And when you say it like that to them, they go, oh, shit, yeah. Like... Yeah. that makes so much more sense rather than going i need you to be in line they don't know what that means they don't know what in line is you know and they're going to get distracted on instagram or whatever or you know checking in with their mate who's a substitute or whatever like but you say yeah. like i will just let play continue if you can't give me a proper decision i'll just let play continue and if a goal gets scored that's not my problem that's your problem yeah and i'll let you deal and, with your own team and i, I did and like you i said to the referees at the outset you know it's playing the whistle make sure he understands that i've also explained to them that you know the assistants have been asked if they can to do it, but the decision's ultimately mine. Obviously, there's more prospect to me giving the offside decision if they're keeping up with play. Mm. But I'd make the point, if they're not doing that, then I will, I will override them. Mm. Um, I just don't know... I just don't really know how much that ever gets relayed to players. You know, do they? Yeah, how much they go away from that discussion that, with you as, and go as, round as, and essentially, say to people... Essentially, that doesn't matter because... When something like that happens, it's, it's prior to refereeing. You can look at the captain and go, mate, I told you. If you didn't yeah, tell your team, true. that's not my problem. I told you what the go is today. I told you yeah. the situation. Don't come looking at me. I've told the assistant. I've told you as the captain. You yeah. sort it out between yourselves because he is your club representative. Yeah, and yeah. that no, is no. the only way you can deal with it. Right? Like... The captain will get annoyed if you haven't had that conversation with him. But if you, it's okay. like, it's like if someone says, if, if I say to someone, if you do that again, I'm going to punch you in the face and they do it again and I punch them in the face, they cannot be surprised that I punched them in the face because I told them the consequences of what was going to happen. Okay. I'm not recommending going around punching people in the face, by the way. No. But when you, like, when you just put it out there and just like, this is, this is what's going to happen. If this happens, that's what will happen. No one can argue with that. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. That's um, always <clears> very, very true. Something else to that question. Was there one more we picked out? Or you picked there is. Out no, there is one more cover? if we've got time. Banter. Do you like, I hate the word banter. A quick question for you both. What is your view on a referee's response to banter between opponents? Assuming it's not racial or discriminatory in nature, do you ever speak to a player who's clearly trying to wind up an opponent? Cheers, Michael. P.S. Really enjoying the podcast. Thanks, Michael. That's Michael Thank Clark. You, really appreciate it, mate. Um, banter, banter. It's, it's I hate it, the it, word. It, it. I mean, I've said before that a lot of the games a referee are between people that know me and people that know each other, and I'm, I, I certainly tolerate a level of banter at, in those sorts of games to a different level that I would perhaps tolerate in a, a game where I didn't know the parties involved. Mm -hmm. It's much easier for me to know when there's a relationship between all the various people, I, I, I don't have issue with the banter. Um, 
it's difficult. I think that you've got to um, you've got to make sure that you're keeping control of the game. And I think if you think there's a danger that the banter is ramping things up a bit and is going to provoke someone to perhaps do something which is going to get him into trouble, I think then you 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 know you need to sort of get involved and to explain that they need to stop it. Um, and I think I think that's what I'd probably do. I think it was just a sort of bit of you know I don't I don't have a problem with if 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 people sort of take the mick out of each other when there's a missed shot, for example, or someone goes to shoot and it goes off for a, you know, a throw in or something. I do that. I don't know. I do that myself. What I exactly. I think this ain't rugby, mate. It it wouldn't be, it would be, you wouldn't be human if in moments of, as lawyers would say, in moments of levity, if you didn't sort of say something's funny and call out what it was, it'd be a bit odd. Yeah. You know? And so I think, I think that the, um, you know that's all fine, but I do, I just think you've got to be careful about it because it can very easy go from banter into winding people up that then turns into aggressive challenges, retaliate. I mean, so I think if if you get a sense that that is happening, I think you are then you'd be sensible and duty bound to kind of get involved and I think, have a yeah, chat to people. I think my general instinct is if I hear it and I see it. And I see it more than once between the same two same two players. Yeah, I will probably get in and, and just be like, guys, come on, let's just leave it alone now. And they're like, we're just having a laugh. And I'm like, I know, and that's fine, but that laugh can soon boil over. So let's just be a bit careful. Yeah, let's just cut it out. And generally, they accept that kind of premise. Um, yeah. I I mean, I, for me, banter is just an excuse for bullying. Um, but I don't think that's what this context is. Um, and essentially, you know, if someone's more focused on winding up another player, then that team's going to lose anyway because they're not focused on playing football, so they're only causing their own problem. Um, yeah, so what, look, what, I, it you just have to be aware of it. Like, if you see two players constantly around each other doing this, that, and the other, and it sometimes it looks... Or, like, the, the key there is, like, once one of them walks away, look at the reaction of the guy who was just on the receiving end of it. And if he takes it in good humour, then you're probably going to be safe. If he doesn't, if it lo- if he looks a bit snarly about it, then get involved. Um, but yeah, it's it's not it's not easy, and every situation is different. You just have to uh, use your life experience to judge it. The the author of this message is um, acknowledges this point. I'm going to reinforce it anyway. In, in the um, that you can never have banter about things such as the color of someone's skin. No, of course. About their sexuality. I, mean, I know it goes that saying, but you, you, you'd be surprised how many people, when I used to do my sort of campaigning work about discrimination in football, w- would constantly say to me, it was only banter. And, and and we had to keep reinforcing that, you know, you, you can't have banter about those sorts of topics. No, so absolutely right. You know, if, if it is those sort of things, then you absolutely need to get involved. There's also there's also a fine class. line. There's also a fine line between banter and mocking. And a lot of what I see on the football pitch is a player mocking another player, as opposed to actually having a friendly joke with him. Yeah, and and that's very easy to see that difference on. And if if someone is mocking someone, you need to stop that immediately because yeah. that's gonna 
inflate like that's going to flare up tempers and and you just can't have that on the football field yeah so you do have to be very aware of of mocking and of of sporting behavior either so you know you your duty bound to get involved at that point yeah i suppose but i think yeah yeah you are um but i think also it it you could you could you could misread that yourself as a referee as a person as a human you could misread a mock for a for a bit of banter like i can see where you might get you might just not quite get the judgment right in that situation. So you yeah, do need true. to be quite sensitive to that. Yep. Good point. There we go. Thank you for Very that good. question. Yeah. Okay. I think we'll, um, that's probably enough for the post bag for this evening because we haven't yeah. done any law yet. No, and we, we need to get through the penalty kick. Over an hour into our podcast. So uh, well, I, quite like, I quite like the fact we're doing less uploads, but bumper editions. Quite like yeah, that. I also like the fact that we seem to do some less about the law, more talking about, people's problems and issues yeah, and helping people and current topics which i think is you know more interesting because have you got anything have you got anything you need to get off your chest ed is that why you're bringing that up <laughs> but 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 it's just it's just ultimately you know if people need to know what the law is they can go to the laws of football they don't yeah, need of course. to come to our podcast of course of course i mean we occasionally provide a bit of explanation and hopefully some insight but um but yeah i mean i'd like to think that the rest of the stuff we talk about is as important, if not more important, than the actual laws themselves. Absolutely. Um, agree. Yeah. So let's go to law uh, 14. number fourteen. Can't you wish to fourteen? Um. Um. Well, in case anybody didn't know, <laughs> it begins by telling us a, a penalty kick is awarded if a player commits a direct free kick offence inside their penalty area or off the field as part of players outlined in laws twelve and thirteen. Um. And a goal may be scored directly from a penalty kick. So essentially, a penalty um, kick is a free kick in the penalty area. Yeah. Uh, direct free kick in the penalty area, yeah. Um, Procedure. Ball must be stationary uh, on the penalty mark. Um, the player taking the kick must be clearly identified. Wait, it does then, say it does say the goalposts, crossbar, and goal net must not be moving. Yeah, I mean, I skipped over what if that. It, what if it's a windy day? <laughs> I mean, I mean, what is that there? That's wonderful, isn't it? That's just so wonderful. <laughs> I mean, like, but again, you could put that in a laws test, right? The 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 net is moving. The net ripples due to the wind. <laughs> is a penalty kick allowed to be taken? And in law, it's not allowed to be taken. Um. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, the player the taking ne- the penalty next... kick must be clearly identified. That's crucial. That's something I'm very assiduous about um, when it comes to... Oh, did you like my new word? Um, when it comes to a penalty being taken. Yeah. No, I mean, I, it is usually um, fairly obvious, but but yeah. That, I doesn't, mean... that, that doesn't matter. You know why I do it? Like Because you've got everyone there and it's, it's a big set piece, so you have to control it well. So I'll always go, are you going to take the penalty kick? And the guy goes, yeah. And then I'll tell the goalkeeper. And then that's my reason to make sure the goalkeeper is in the right space. Is And then I can say to the keeper, wait, get on your line, sort it out, stop being an idiot, get back. This guy's taking it in the discussion. And then I can go around the rest of the, the, the penalty area and telling them what I expect to occur. Yeah. So it is, it is important. The, the, the next part includes one of the law changes this year. So obviously the defending keeper has to remain on the goal line uh, between the goalposts until the ball is kicked uh, and facing the kicker. But they've introduced this year for those people who are um, up to date with the law changes that the goalkeeper must not behave in a way that unfair distracts the kicker. So there's no delay in start the, taking the kick off. 
or touching the goalpost, crossbar, goal net. So this is, you know, we, we've seen it happen time and time again. Goalkeepers walking down. up to the penalty spot, trying to make sure it's on the penalty spot. Then they go back to their line. They're sort of all over the place. And this is the, the aim of this is just to sort of to cut out all that distraction, unsporting behaviour. It's also like the, the jumping regular. on the line where they, they kind of shake the crossbar and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's nervous so energy from a goalkeeper. You just have to tell them to not do it. Um, and then also explains how uh, where the penalty spot is, but we know that. Um, and then all the other players have to be outside of the penalty area. Um, and the player taking the penalty must kick the ball forward. Back healing is permitted provided the ball moves forward. So that's an important thing to remember because we've all seen those penalty kicks before where they, someone touches it and not um, sideways though not, not sideways. sideways has to, has go, to go forward, forward. which is a really really important thing uh to remember um goalkeeper has to have at least one part of one foot touching or in line with or behind the goal line um and the ball is in play as you expect when it's when it is clearly moved and being kicked and on that um, on that i always tell the the the, the the team the players who are rushing in I always go no one moves until the ball is click is clicked is kicked and then I say it again and moves forward so I tell all the players who yeah, are waiting to come in I'm like no one moves until it's kicked and moves forward okay that's it and then everyone knows the expectation yeah um and then again a really important thing which I think is often forgotten by people uh the kicker must not play the ball again until it's touched another player so Mm -hmm. Am I right in saying, Adam? Ball hits the crossbar. Ball hits the crossbar. Comes back to the attacker, the the guy who took the penalty, the guy who has to be clearly identified, and this is why. Is not a goal if they then if they then put it in the net, correct? Right. But if the goalkeeper saves it, saves it, then it has touched another player, and then the kicker can kick the ball again. And I, I and I reinforce that because I I've seen that happen a few times. Yep. And, it does and, and and people just don't appreciate that sort of the laws. Nope. Um, so that's really worth remembering. And it, it makes sense, um, right? Because if if you just break it down, you can't have a player who takes a free kick, touch the ball twice before it's touched another player. It's exactly the same rule. The only issue in this is the ball bounces off of crossbars and posts in this yeah. situation, which doesn't happen at a, at a free kick. So that's why that's in there. The next bit, Adam, is um, was touched upon by us. Do you remember there was a an incident where VAR gave a penalty after the referee had blown up for time, and we were debating as to how long should the referee allow play to continue? Because you remember, I, I I said, well, if time was finished, and VAR then says it should be a penalty, as soon as that penalty kick was taken, he should have blown up. Anyway, it, it says here, additional time is allowed for a penalty kick to be taken and completed at the end of each half of the match or extra time. When additional time is allowed, the penalty kick is completed when after the kick has been taken, the ball stops moving, goes out of play, is played by any player, including the kicker, other than the defending goalkeeper, or the referee stops play from offence by the kicker or the kicker's team. And if a defending team player including the goalkeeper commits defence and penalty is missed or saved. But isn't that basically saying kind of anything? So literally, as soon as anything happens, or or even if the ball Ooh. stops moving... If a goal isn't scored from it, a penalty. It's over. And what was interesting, the referee didn't do that on that occasion because mm. he let... Do you remember, it, it kind of 
Yeah, I do. You had an opportunity to go out and come back in again. And I we yeah. I was sort of saying, what a disaster if that, that had gone in on that second phase of play yeah. after the penalty had been missed. And um so it's just not referee, safe refereeing, yeah. No, the referee should have played up before then. So, so that's the first part. The next bit is entitled Offences and uh, Sanctions. Um, and this is one of those situations where they give a, a whole host of different examples of, of what you do and what happens in certain situations. So, there's, it, Can so I just say also, in yeah. part three of this, there's a summary table that sums this up Precisely. really well. So if you're listening to it and going, what was that, what was that, what was that? Just go to Law 14, Section 3. And the summary table yeah. kind of just surmises all of this together. I kind of don't really see why they put section two in because yeah, because the summary table is really is effective, isn't so it? So yeah, straightforward and concise that you can see immediately, uh, you know, what the situation is, and it's sort of I kind of don't really follow as to why when they've got that really concise clear table mm. that they have to set out in word form all the different scenarios so, so i don't think we need to go through all of these but let, let's um give an example so if, if before the ball is in play one of the following occurs let's just to take an example of the, what the the um it says about what if the goalkeeper offends right if the ball enters the goal a goal is awarded well that Kind of makes sense. Yeah. If the ball misses the goal or rebounds on the crossbar goalpost, the kick is only retaken if the goalkeeper's offence clearly impacted on the kicker. So I mean this... that is that's niche. I mean that that's that is not obvious, is it? Because well, you would think infringement when, retake, but it's when, not quite that clear. When, when a penalty, like with penalties, it's. It's just an opportunity to be sensible, right? Like you don't want to end up in these niche situations in law. So essentially I tell my assistants and I recently off, I always forget to tell them during, um, during the pre-match. So I'm telling them if a penalty occurs in the game, I'm like saying on my comms, like if he misses this, there is no way, shape or form that we are having a retake. Okay. If he misses it, because essentially if a player can't hit the target from 12 yards, what are you doing right yeah, so you, you, you so before yeah, yeah so like i and 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 if the goalkeeper is doing something that is so obviously going to impact the person taking the penalty yeah. you're going to interfere and deal with that anyway you're going to get involved because it's going to be so bloody egregious as it is. So yeah. I think you can. This, you're, you're full of you're full of big words oh, this evening. Mate, Adam. I'm on form, aren't I know this morning. It's great. Oh, um, so essentially, look, you can just control these situations so much better than the law kind of suggests you need to. Right? This is kind of written law for a referee who um, just isn't being very practically minded out there yeah. sometimes. You know, I, I think I think your approach is is spot on, really. Um, but just complete this part as an example. Um, if the ball is prevented from entering the goal by the goalkeeper's actions, then you do have to kick retake. And I suppose that is common sense, what you've just been saying. And then where the goalkeeper's offence results in kick being retaken, the goalkeeper is warned for the first offence, caution for any subsequent um, offence. So they get they get this little one warning before. That, that would be coming off the line. Yeah, um, coming off the line. Yeah. yeah or... You know, holding on to the crossbar or something as you're anyway, but yes. uh, dangling, yeah, 
Um, I don't think anybody's going to benefit from us um, going through the rest of it. Going through the rest because I think it's it's all quite straightforward. So, so it, question... it does say here though, uh, if after the penalty kick has been taken, the kicker touches the ball again before it has touched another player, an indirect free kick is awarded. So you stop play indirect free kick because it's a double touch offence. And sense? there is no, yeah, and there and there is no difficulty with the. <laughs> Nominated penalty taker touching the ball forwards and another player coming in and kicking the ball into the net. Have we provided, seen that examples that provided, happen? Provided they didn't move before the ball was kicked and clearly moves yeah. forward. They didn't come, they weren't within the and area when the ball was kicked uh, and like, the ball goes forward. You just, I mean, do you remember from the World Cup in Qatar, like all the images of Argentina are like running, like how they froze yeah. it and everyone was running on before the ball would clearly been kicked and moved forward and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Generally, I'd say, look, a penalty, you just don't want like stupid situations like that. If, if, if it gets nudged forward and a guy is running, a second player is running in to kick the ball into the goal, I would argue you have a much stronger case for encroachment than you do allowing that goal to stand. So yeah. if it was me, I'd probably... I'd probably go, isn't like you encroached, you moved before the ball went in, like before the ball was kicked. And like, because it just, it, it's one of those situations in football, isn't it? Where you look at it, you go, it just doesn't feel right, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, the team who scored the goal will accept encroachment a lot more than the team who um, conceded the goal will accept it wasn't encroachment. Do you know what I mean? So I think yeah. that's probably better. You don't want to get into those kinds of arguments with players. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. So, um, yeah, summary table, I think, is really helpful. That Oh, uh, just looking at the, the table, it says illegal fainting. We didn't cover that, did we? But that's quite important as well. Uh, where's that on it? You're not it's, you're not allowed to completely stop your momentum, are you? Yeah, it says a player of both team of um Fainting. To kick the ball once the kicker has completed the run-up. Fainting in the run-up is permitted. Um so it's permitted, but you you have to keep moving. Is my keep moving. I, I believe that's, that's you do. I just can't see it written in there. Can you? I can't see it written in there. But um, my understanding is, is you can um, faint and sort of move direction, but it has to be a continuing movement. That's my understanding. Yeah. I can't like you. I can't see um, where that is as you'd expect it to be in this penalty section. You just can't just, stop. You just can't stop your run up again. It has to be, it, it has to be a run up. Comes down to un, comes down to unsporting behavior, right? You can faint, yeah. but you can't be unsporting. So just yeah. just judge that for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And the weird thing is, they they talk about um, fainting within the offence and sanction section, but they don't um, put that bit in there. But they don't actually talk about the what's lawful and what's unlawful about what. Fainting is, and then define fainting. Like that's the thing, isn't it? That's what you. That's what we need yeah, to. Yeah, I don't. At. I don't. But, you would expect me to find that bit in here, but there has to be continuing fainting is permitted, provided it's still a continuing uh, motion um, by the player taking the penalty kick. You'd expect to have seen that in the section, but inevitably this will be in some other section that um, that the, they define fainting in the glossary or something so i'm looking at that now football terms fainting an action which attempts to confuse an opponent the laws define permitted and illegal fainting but i don't know where illegal fainting exists the player faints to kick the ball once the kicker has completed the run-up um then that is a course for offense 
but you can fake in the run-up. So it's it is it's right. it's not quite as clear as we've said it to be. I mean, I've described it as being sort of in your, you know, you have to keep doing the run-up, you can't stop. And that has completed his run-up, yeah, because you're no longer yeah. running, are you? You're stopping. Yeah. God, that's yeah. that's 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 why you went to law school and I didn't. Mm. Anyway, if, if we're struggling to interpret it, I imagine there's a fair few other referees that are, that are sitting sitting there listening to this podcast going, I hope to God that I don't have to deal with a fainting situation because I don't know what on earth illegal or illegal. I think generally is. now in this if day it feels and age, wrong. It's, yeah. It's, and generally it's now wrong. in this day and age, it, it's one of those things that I think was around a lot when I was growing up, but it's not around much anymore in football. You don't see it much from the pros. So yeah. it, you don't see it much on, on the pitches that you're dealing with. Yeah, no, I think that's probably true. I suppose we're um, left with one thing now, aren't we? We are indeed. Cue jingle. It's now time for Ed's Fun Facts. Um, I've got a question for you, actually, before we start Ed's Fun oh. Facts. What's the yeah. difference between unlawful and illegal? Uh, I don't think there is a difference. Oh, no, there, um, there is. Unlawful I've and illegal. You. Yeah, what's the difference? This is great podcast material, isn't it? Just stunned silence. Fascinating podcast material. Do you want to give you the answer? I, yeah, give me the answer. Unlawful is, is the act of breaking the law. Illegal is a sick bird. <laughs> this, this this is what I have to contend with. Um, I imagine the listeners are very sympathetic to um, my plight of having to deal with you. Um, uh, there we go. Okay. Excellent. Anyway, I haven't got huge amounts of fun facts because there's not a huge amount of fun facts around the topic of penalties, but there is some some interesting um, information. Uh, that I thought would go through. And one of the most interesting things that uh, about penalties is the success rate or otherwise, depending on the power of the shot. So this is oh, the wow. whole argument of power versus placement, okay, mm. which I find quite interesting. I I'm, I'm, uh, enjoy stats like this. So I uh, this is a, a research that was done into... Uh, Analysis of 129 penalties that were taken during various World Cup finals and finals of the UEFA Champions League. Okay, so it's not across every game of football, but it's a fairly, fairly good, a pretty um, good level. Yeah. Um, now they analysed the, the success rate of penalties where the power of the shot is 50% power, 75% power, and 100% power. How do, they define, how do they define that? Well, percentage? I mean, I think it's pretty basic on things like speed and, you know, things like okay. that. So somebody surely, yet top surely speed. That's different for every some... player. No, because, you, I mean, professional players are all going to have Stats fairly narrow parameters about how hard the ball can, speed of the ball, I think it's probably going to be consistent against uh, across most strikers. On this topic, didn't one of the England players from the Women's World Cup, her penalty, wasn't it the most powerful penalty all season? Or the most powerful know, shot know, all you, season? You, you did remark about that on one of our podcasts. Yeah. You watched it and been... Who was it? Um, I, think it might have been, I think it might have been Rachel Daly. 
Can't remember. Anyway, so let, let's begin with a simple question, Adam. I know you had like oh. you like these multiple guest questions. Um, when you were looking at the the three types of shot I've described: fifty percent power, seventy five percent power, and a hundred percent power. Which one goes um, in? Which is the most successful in terms of goal scored? Seventy five percent. What's your rationale behind that? Because if you're going for 100% power, you're likely to not hit the target. You are spot on. Yes! Um, now, um, I know you like to have a good guess at figures. So we've, we've ascertained that 75 no, 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 no. Can I just be clear? You have imposed that upon me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we've already established that 75% power... Um, reaps the best uh, results in terms of success what percentage of uh penalties taken at 75 percent power do you think resulted in a goal what percentage mm. 88 oh not bad you're you're in the you're in the right ballpark 81 okay. percent of of um Penalties struck at 75% power were scored. Right. Um, interesting. Let's just do by contrast. Percentage of goal penalties scored where they're hit at 50% power. 46. Oh, Adam, that's very good. 47. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, out. wow. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And then conversely, percentage of or penalty scored when it's hit at 100% power. It's gonna be, is it somewhere between those two, 46 and 81? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. there is logic. logic Let's go 74%. It. No, not that, not that high, because obviously oh, right. 75% power is only 81%. 100% power, um, only 63% of okay. those were scored. But interesting. What, what's also interesting is they give you the stats for... Uh, how, what percentage missed the targets for these different um, power levels, and what percentage of these shots were saved? Okay, so right, okay. missing the target is the next one we're going to ask you about. Okay, of of the uh, ones they analysed, where the shot power was seventy five percent. So that's our that's our yep. premium conversion rate. Yeah. What percentage of those 129 penalties missed the target? 12%. No, no it's low, it's lower than that. In fact, is it? I, I think this is this, this is kind of this is this encapsulates the, the whole argument about power of replacement, right? Yeah. So uh only one percent of oh, wow. kicks hit 75% missed if the target. If you go at 75% of your power, wow. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the next one's going to be too difficult for you. What what percentage of kicks hit at 50% power missed the target? Zero. Correct. Um, and then what percentage of shots hit at 100% power missed the target? Would that be somewhere around half of them, 50? No, not quite that high. 31% okay. though, still, okay. still that's, high. That's a significant difference, isn't it? It is, isn't it? 31 I mean, to like 2 or 3%. It really does crystallise that difference between striking the balance between power and placement. And then I don't think these next results are particularly surprising, but we're now talking about the percentage of these penalties that were saved, right? So let's start again with our 
premium, premium. 75% power. What percentage? And bear in mind that 81% of those. Went in. And you've, you've already, you've already told. And this is testing your math, Adam. You've yeah. already told me how many missed the target. So that leaves oh, I don't us know. with like about sixteen percent, eighteen percent, eighteen percent, eighteen percent. Yeah, it, it's it's just maths now. Yeah, um, I'm no good at maths, mate. I'm really bad 50, at maths. Fifty percent of when people use fifty percent power, uh, over half of them say fifty three percent. Yeah, and then uh, when it's a hundred percent. Um, as you might expect, only seven percent of them are saved, but there's a high percentage of of people missing the target. So you know, you know what I think of most in this discussion. What's that? Golf. You ever played golf? Um, yes, I've played golf. Yeah, what, like, uh, and it, it's the same, isn't it? In golf, like if you try and hit a ball hundred percent, yeah, like you are definitely not being accurate. But yeah, if I you, you know, ball, and you just get, you get so much more bang for your buck when you just don't just swing willy nilly and you just yeah. take a little bit of pace off, you just get much better, much better results. Yeah. And, you know, it's a spot on analogy because, of course, and the second you try and slow it down so much that you kind of overthink what you do with your swing, it goes it wrong goes, again. It goes yeah. wrong again. So it's just that kind of balance between a bit of rhythm, not trying too hard, not trying uh, too little. Um, That's I'll very interesting. More. Yes, I thought you might enjoy that. I yeah, enjoyed that one. That's good. Uh, I'll do a couple more for you, um, and, I, and I'll maybe say some for another ready day. But um, they did an analysis on World Cup since 1982 uh, about how often um, is each penalty in the World Cup shootout scored. Okay. So um, what percentage... Of the first penalty kicks in the World Cups, do you think are scored? Eighty-six percent. It's not quite that high, but okay. it's still high. Seventy-three percent of. Mm. Um, well, you think most teams would put their best player? Well, that's, that, this is this is the point that the, the statistics show um, is that the the first penalty kickers. Are generally the best. Expect, are generally the best because you, right, okay. you know you put your best people forward. Um, do you think that the percentage of the second penalty kicks, so the opposing team's penalty, first penalty, right. higher or lower? It's like play your cards right. I bet that's lower because the pressure's increased. Do you know what? I, that would be the logical thing, wouldn't but it? It's higher, but it's higher, is it? It's higher. It's really? Higher. So therefore, 70, it's better. It's better to go second in a penalty shootout. Better to go second in a penalty shootout. But then, when you look at the well, overall stats, when you look at the overall yeah. stats of a penalty shootout, generally the team that goes first wins because that's why they introduced the ABBA format, wasn't it? Yeah, correct. Yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on about that. Um, and in fact, the analysis they did showed that eleven of the last fifteen penalty shootouts were won by the team taking the first penalty shootout if they successfully convert that first penalty. Right. So it's it's amazing how important the psychology of that first penalty and then, going in. And then, like, what's the percentage of the first penalty being scored to the fifth penalty being scored? Well, it's funny you should ask that, Adam. <laughs> I have at my fingers, it's almost as though I've teed you up for this, which I, I promised everybody I hadn't done. But um, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, so the data suggests that teams put their three most confident penalty takers uh, first in the penalty shootouts because yeah. the, it's the better first to have a goal. It's better to have a goal. Sides, 
um, in the previous World Cup shooters have a success rate above 73%. So the right. first three are all 73% or higher. Uh, or higher. So the range between 73 and 77%. But after that, the rate drops. What do the rate drops down to? So if we're talking about 73 to 77% for the first three kickers, but it drops because also we're talking about world cup and champions league penalties right so yeah so there's the pressure, pressure elements yeah, yeah but there's uh, also you've also got to remember you're also dealing with the best players in the world yeah but still well. they still i mean i remember john terry slipping over so um as i'm sure you remember ed uh how are chelsea doing by the way we we've got a young dynamic team that are gelling under an excellent new manager they're doing, they're and, doing, they're doing uh, we won we won this week congratulations congratulations and, nice and more importantly um inherent in winning is we actually scored two goals which bearing mind we scored one goal in the whole of september is is a good thing or, um, um, yeah. so are you doing better or worse than brighton and hove albion oh, at, this, at this stage of season it's it's <laughs> Statistics are meaningless after such a few number of games. Are they? Oh, they? Okay, cool. Yeah. Say that to, um, anyway, say that to people at the top the of the stats. Right. What, what, do the, what um, does the percentage fall to for those taking the fourth and fifth penalties in penalty shootouts? I bet it drops to about 42%. Uh, no, it drops to an, uh, an average of um, between about 64 Okay. And yeah. sixty-five. You generally like then, generally with penalties, you see them go in more than you don't, right? So it's all going to yeah, be above fifty percent. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the last stat on this topic is uh, so we've talked about the five penalty kick takers, and obviously no one wants to be the sixth penalty kick mm. person. I remember being in a cup final, and I was going to be the sixth penalty taker, but then thankfully somebody missed our fifth one, so I didn't have to take it. But um. What statistic? What what percentage of people who take the of people who take the eleventh and twelfth penalty kicks are eleventh and twelfth? Oh right, overall, oh, yeah. I reckon that probably drops to below fifty percent. Uh, it in fact is fifty percent right, for okay. the eleventh mm, and twelfth. Isn't that interesting? Kicks. Yeah, I'm going to give you one last one for fear. I don't want to bore everybody, but I'm going to give you one last topic, Adam. Uh, again, it's analysis of World Cup penalties since 1982 um because you need to remember penalties are a fairly recent phenomenon in terms they of are. football uh and they've sort of created a grid uh, of the goal mouth so imagine that the goal is split into um three rows okay and six columns okay right yeah. so they so they've divided up so you you've basically got mm -hmm. top left middle yeah, yeah. Across exactly. six columns. Yeah. Um, okay. I didn't really to be that extravagant because all I wanted to ask you is what past the goal do you think uh, the most number of goals are scored? Middle penalties in Hang all on. World Cups since 1982, where the balls got in for the penalty kick. Which part of the goal do is this? You... Is this from the goalkeeper's perspective or the taker's perspective? No, no, no. It's where in the goal is the 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 penalty have been shot into. Okay, middle left. Oh yeah, from the from the from the from the taker perspective of the taker, obviously. Yeah, but middle middle left, I'd say. Side netting on the left hand side. Side netting left hand side. Yeah, like Top, near the middle near the post. or bottom. Middle. No. Oh, not... I thought I was so right. Then is it? But bottom? You're not far off. Is it bottom? Bottom, bottom, bottom left. left. Yeah, because most players and... are going to be right footed. 
So they're going to swing then, it with their right foot towards the left side of the goal. Well, you say that. It's interesting. What, what would you say is the other most popular spot for a penalty kick to be placed? You said top, you said bottom uh, left. Yeah. What would be the oh, next Everyone bit? says top right, don't they? No, so it's, it is, is interesting. It straight so down the it, middle? No, it's, it's bottom left and bottom right. Oh, oh, okay. Two top. And I, to I, agree, I agree with you in terms of you'd expect the most people being right footed and so bottom left being the most obvious place. But actually, 40.8% um, of penalty kicks, um, successful penalty kicks, were in the bottom right hand corner as opposed to 14.5% in the bottom left hand corner. Okay. Um, and yeah, so there we go. I mean, I, I could bore you with all the other ones, but I'm not going to do that. Those are my fun facts, Adam. Very interesting. They're very interesting. Do you know what? I I I remember about week three of this podcast thinking, bloody hell, this I've podcast got to do facts is, for everything. I've got to do facts <laughs> for everything now. And and I thought after about week three, I'd exhausted all the websites that existed about stats, fun facts. But the internet hey. is the gift that keeps on giving us. Having having on say. that point, right? I was um we have something called Scout here, which analyzes every statistic there is between two teams once they've played a game, right? And it takes yep. it all from the footage and it generates one of so the most complex reports of like oh. a pass, not just pass completion, but where they place the passes, what direction the passes wow. go in, how they put their attacks together. Percentages is, it, of, is it software does it automatically from the, I think say, so. from the footage? I think so. Like, I don't oh. know, but it's incredible. It's called Wisecout, W-Y-S-C-O-U-T. So there's stats on everything, mate, absolutely yeah. everything. And it is, it, I, I was, it was more stats than I could get my head around looking at it. I was like, this is crazy. What would be good is if we designed a way of distilling the important points for a referee to take out of it. Um, yeah. yeah no, also, um, just quickly, you know, I mentioned the considerations that are in the Football Australia Laws of the Game book. Last yeah. Time. yeah. We had someone message us going, oh, where are they? They're not on the internet, yeah. I think. And it appears that they're not on the internet at the moment. Oh, really? Although the laws of the game will, I think in, in Australia, the laws of the game are going online. So they might then appear then. So just yeah, a okay. bit of patience. But they are a really useful um, tool. And it might be worth us exploring them a little bit more somewhere down the line. Yeah. Uh, and then before anybody emails in and says, it wasn't Diaz who scored that goal. I think it was Jones who scored the goal. Anyway, no, it Diaz. wasn't Diaz. Diaz, no, Diaz got the yellow card, I think, and the red card. Well, when I Googled um, it this morning, it was Diaz. That was it? Yeah. Who scored the disallowed goal? Yeah, you, you type in VAR, Diaz. Yeah, that's for the red card, I think. No, it's not. VAR, Diaz, goal, uh, audio. And it comes up. Oh, right. Well, that, well, it Full VAR that. audio, Luis Diaz disallowed goal. Oh, I'm doubting myself. There we go. Oh, bless you. Anyway, there we go. It's now half past 10. It's time for you yeah. to walk the dog and go to bed. What a bumper edition. Well, yeah. yeah have fun I walking the dog. It. That was fun. It was good. Have a good sleep, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Have a lovely weekend and uh, oh. speak to you soon. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Au revoir. Thank you so much for making it to the end of another episode of Red or Yellow. You're clearly a very fit listener. May I gently remind you to like and subscribe to the podcast in your podcast app. That way, when we release a new episode, our meandering chats will magically appear on your phone. Don't forget, you can get 10% off any referee and equipment that you might need. 
If you're in Australia, head to processports.com. And if you're in the UK, head to therefereestore.co.uk. And then just use the code red or yellow 10 at checkout. Thank you so much for listening this week. Don't forget to follow us on social media. It's at red or yellow pod. And don't forget to send in your questions. We cannot wait to speak to you again very, very soon. Ciao, ciao.